well, that would be just terrible, wouldn't it? You know, imagine having a conversation where we removed all the as, those, ofs and so forth. Well, that's not conversational search, is it, when you start to remove those? So that's a really big shift that will slowly and increasingly change as well. Welcome to the Technical Marketing Handbook, a podcast all about the technical world of digital marketing. Today, our topic is search. And to bring some intelligence to the discussion, we have a special guest. So enjoy the show. Hey there, and welcome back to the Technical Marketing Handbook. I am your host, Simo Ahaba, and I'm also the co-founder of Simmer. Since its introduction in 1997, Google Search has been a force of nature, shaping the internet and the web in a fundamental way. Google Search redefined the concepts of query relevance and search intent by departing from the keyword-based models of its competitors to examining the relationship between the documents that make up the web. There are many components to search, and each has its own idiosyncratic uh, technical marvels running the machines under the hood. First, there are the crawlers, which are programmatic tools designed to follow links, mentions, and uh, manually added page lists to uncover even the most hidden documents of the web. While crawling, they also parse the content, images, audio files, link documents, and links themselves for metadata and other information about the content. There's the index, which takes the input from crawlers and some other signals and builds a library of metadata for all, or nearly all, of the content on the web. And then there's the actual search interface, which users use. It's not just a text prompt, as many would think, because innovations such as voice search and tools like Google Lens allow users to do conversational searches and multimedia queries as well. The search engine responds to these queries and tries to return the most relevant result for each query. And this is typically the most controversial component of the search engine as the concept of relevance is hidden behind this opaque ranking algorithm or opaque ranking algorithms that determine which content should be floated to the top of the search results for any given query. Google issues updates to each of these algorithms periodically, and among experts of the field, it always generates some buzz, as the ranking margins for the most efficiently optimized sites are typically very small and brittle. Even a small algorithm change can sway a seemingly untouchable positioning of a web page, resulting in huge losses or, conversely, huge gains of search traffic. Search engine optimization, or SEO, is the discipline traditionally associated with trying to understand this jungle of technical complexity and applying the lessons to the content found via search. Again, traditionally, the purpose has been to float the optimized content to the top of the search engine results page for any given query. However, Google Search is becoming less of a monolithic uh, index query machine and more of a conversational partner where the concept of relevance is not something that's fixed, even for a short period of time, but contextualized to the questions that are being asked, to the topicalness of the query, uh, to the person asking the questions, to the virality of the brand, to the buzz on social media and so forth. It might seem overwhelming to do SEO these days, as the industry itself has become multidisciplinary by nature. Tactics-based SEO, where content is being churned with the sole intent of ranking better, is very clearly on the decline, and SEO has become a discipline adopted not just by marketers, but also front-end developers, PR professionals, information architecture specialists, analysts, and paid media professionals. Search itself is becoming more academic, at least if you follow the latest updates to how the engines work. For example, Google's releases around text transformers, information retrieval, and text corpora read like the syllabus of a linguistics degree. 
So one has to wonder, what are the skills that an SEO requires in 2021 to understand this complexity? Can you still do a good job by just deploying well-founded technical SEO tactics? Or do you need to approach search from a more multidisciplinary, contextualized vantage point? To help me understand this slowly progressing paradigm shift, I'm joined by Don Anderson of Bertie. Now, many folks working in digital marketing know Dawn as one of the sharpest minds in SEO, and her thoughtful and thoroughly researched presentations around the more academic concepts underlying modern SEO are always extremely well received. Over the years, Dawn has done an excellent job at demystifying the gap between the operational and academic aspects of search engines, and she's fluent in both the textual as well as the technical aspects of modern SEO. She runs a successful consultancy service called Bertie. The company offers services in digital strategy, technical SEO, mobile SEO, local SEO, website audits, e-commerce, and more. She's one of the folks you absolutely must follow on Twitter and SlideShare. And I'm so happy I got the chance to sit down and talk with a domain expert of her caliber. And we'll get to the interview in just a bit after these words from our sponsor. Are you a marketing or a data professional looking to skill up? Take a look at the online courses Simmer has to offer at teamsimmer.com. The courses are completely self-paced and your enrollment will grant you lifetime access to the material, including any updates. Go to teamsimmer.com and use the coupon code HANDBOOK to get 10% off your course purchase. That's teamsimmer.com. Don Anderson from Bertie, could you please explain what is BERT and how does Google use it to better understand what the user is searching for? Okay, so BERT is a natural language model. It is, it's been pre-trained on, uh, originally on the English version of Wikipedia and I believe Books Corpus, which is, I think it's something like billions of words in English. So it's ultimately like training a small child to learn English. And then ultimately the model is then used on uh, fine-tuning natural language tasks further down the line. So things like next sentence prediction, entity determination, uh, semantic analysis, and uh, sentiment analysis as well. So. Yeah, so it's ultimately a starting point. It's like the equivalent of a vanilla version of WordPress. Very few people use the WordPress out of the box, so they fine-tune it and make it their own. So researchers take BERT, this huge pre-trained model, and then train a fine and fine-tune a model for other use. Yeah, so how are search engines using it? Well, they're probably using it uh, in the second or later stages of ranking. What does that mean? Not a lot of people talk about the various stages of ranking. Um, last week, actually, um, Google did mention in a podcast that they have various extra parts that they do before they serve search results. So they alluded to it there. But um, ultimately... Something like Google Bird, which is machine learning and very expensive, wouldn't be used on the initial fetch of search results when things are quite obvious. Is something relevant or isn't it? But it would probably be used to fine-tune that top K, that top heap of results to make sure it meets very specific queries. So it's for nuance and granularity and natural understanding on possibly more conversational queries. Is it, is it something that SEOs would optimize for? Is it something you need to keep top of mind when you're, when you're auditing or creating content? Is it, or is it, is it something that happens intentionally behind the scenes that you're not even supposed to kind of think about it when you're doing your work as an SEO? So ultimately, in the past, we've had to do lots of content, which was quite keywordy. Yep. And people, humans searched in a keyword-esque way because they didn't expect the search engine to understand the natural flow of conversation or the natural flow of sentences and phrases. So it's almost now the opposite of that. We need to really try to focus on being being natural, 
in the way that we create content. But we also need to be mindful that even with Bert, it's not perfect. And we still need to stay on focus. If you were writing an article for, you know, a high-end newspaper or publication, you would stay focused. So focus is, and structure is still important in a piece of content. Um, that if that goes really beyond SEO. It's it's just good literature. So I don't think we need to optimize for SEO so much, but we do need to optimize for readers in that we need to stay on point with structure and flow and for good reading really so yeah if you have pieces of content that are obviously seo'd i think they will probably stand out so so if anything you probably need to unoptimize things a little bit speaking about the the seo work in general um many of the things you mentioned with regard to bird have you're you're talking about things like corpus linguistics and and you've been researching information retrieval as well and recently even you even um, shared a a presentation on zips law and many of these uh, ring bells in people's ears who have an academic background do you think or do you want SEO to become more academic or has it already always been and should folks be inspired to really look into for example linguistic theory in addition to looking into python and into looking into http2 and so on yeah well i think that i mean i love the fact that seo is very much a practitioner field but um, at the same time i think it's really important that we be critical and a lot of that critical thinking comes from the academic side and a lot of the a lot of the things that we can learn about seo and search engines it's all there in the academic literature I know that people do sometimes do great blog posts on SEO, but a lot of the time there can be quite a lot of claims that don't have any real support and certainly not anything that's grounded in literature. So I think if people only spend that bit more time going off and looking at a lot of the IR papers, they would actually find a lot to support the things that they're writing about because half the time they're not far off, but they just not massively well supported from a critical and academic perspective. So I think it would be great if people started to go and research a little bit beyond the obvious four or five articles that they find when they're writing on a topic and then start to look in, for instance, Google Scholar or ResearchGate or, you know, ArcSiv is brilliant. So there's loads and loads of literature out there. But as I say, I do... I don't believe that SEO is an academic subject. I believe it's more because you do need to test things, you need to try things, and I think I think it's a good crossover between academia and practitioners. You know, industry and academia work together. I think in SEO and how could do they don't really at this stage, but I really believe that they could going forward. So, and I think it would bring the industry more respect as well because it has still got some reputational issues which hopefully are fading over time but but they are still hanging around there are some some out there who don't know the industry that well that are quite critical of seo as a you know they automatically presume we're all spammers and jammers so and that's obviously not true i i have to ask a naive question because it's been a while since i've had to work in seo but is SEO still for many uh, just kind of a bunch of tactics to deploy? Like, uh, is it still possible to trick search engines or has it ever been? Maybe that's a misconception as well. But are there things uh, like super low-hanging fruit that anybody could do and then kind of claim that we now fix the SEO on this side um, from a tactical point of view? I think, I think SEO has to be much more strategic overall, particularly as you start to work on larger sites uh and sites with moving parts as well um everything's not constantly changing search is much more dynamic there's a huge temporal element to search now we see this with things like you know query intent shift where all the search results change when you get towards black friday every all the results tend to be much more transactional and so forth so i think you you can't work in search around small tactics you have to take a really broad look and you have to look at how, how SEO is um, fits in with all the other channels as well, all the other signals, because search engines are everywhere. 
people are everywhere, humans are on their phones, search is to a large extent becoming ubiquitous. You know, it's on our Google, I better not say the word actually, because I've got one of those devices in my house and <laughs> I've got several. And every time I say the word, <laughs> it kind of takes in and we really don't want that. But the point is, people have those devices in their houses. They have their phones constantly with them. We have all the other devices and so forth as well. So I think small tactics are not very effective for long periods of time. You have to really understand the audience, particularly with things like BERT. And, you know, if you, and I'm not sure whether you'll have read this, but 2018, Google published a post talking about the next 20 years of search and saying it will be much more around three fundamental shifts. One was the move from answering questions to helping people with journeys. Well, that's because people have jobs to do, and that's the whole point of search. People don't search with an objective to go and search. They go and look for information because they have jobs and tasks that they want to complete. But that can take some time. So, for instance, you're booking a holiday. It could take you, you know, how many searches might that take before you actually book that holiday? Lots and lots of them over a period of time. So that's one of the shifts. Um, The other was a shift from queries to query lists. Now, again, that implies knowing the audience, knowing the user unbelievably well. These small tactics don't work when you start to think of search as being a long-term, everywhere approach. So I think those are the winning approaches. You have to meet all the information needs in a variety of ways for a specific audience or audiences. So, yeah. On that note, when you you already mentioned that, you know, these key, keyword uh, jamming and and different things are not that are not efficient and when when you look at queries themselves and what people are searching for or inferring that with these different tools have you seen like what what is the big shift because i i again anecdotally i still fall into the trend of just looking for keywords because i don't trust that google understands me when i do a conversational yeah. search but at the same time you know, voice search has been um, uh, a thing that's been popularized over the years, and that, that is obviously a conversational medium. So yeah. do, do you see that Google's predictions are coming true? Are people actually shifting the way they are searching, or is it just something that Google hopes people will do, but it might not actually reflect on reality? I think things are definitely changing, uh, particularly as the next generations are coming through that are, you know, they're native, they're native searchers, they're, they're they're native conversational searchers, so they they haven't they haven't had the years where we we didn't trust search engines would return a good set of results. You know they they didn't have to think about their queries uh, or do you know the the old fashioned styles of searching. So I think uh, I think the biggest example of changing search behavior is in the local space, in that. People don't necessarily have to put in the location uh, as as text when they're looking for a service or something local nearby. They literally will just type in the name of the service and presume that the search engine will return right. based on geolocation the the right results. And a lot of the time it does. And we know as well the shift to near me was massive. You know, queries that include near me, again, that's the user trusting the search engine to know where they are. So I think these shifts are happening. Think, I mean, the, the, the piece that Google published, search, changing search for the next 20 years, that, um, that was a long, that's a long-term plan. So it's not going to be an immediate shift anyway. Things will just slowly, slowly, slowly change, you know. So, so I think, yes, I think... Other areas where I've seen big changes have been when you start to see concepts, similar concepts returned in search results, synonyms, more and more synonyms of each other. And obviously something like Google BERT starts to include stop words, whereas historically search engines used to strip out all these ands, there's ofs and so forth. And that does relate as well to, you know, you mentioned Zipfy and distribution because the vast majority of words don't have any 
real value. Yeah, the stop start, words are the most frequent ones. Yeah, exactly. Like the is the most used word in the English language. Um, and only a small amount of words actually do add value. If we follow Pareto, it's probably 20%, but it's the long tail, if you like. Almost that notion of rareness. But when you start to include Bert, well, all of a sudden, all of those small words, they are they're the contextual glue that adds that makes a sentence because if we removed all the stop words from conversational search well that would be just terrible wouldn't it you know imagine having a conversation where we removed all the as those ofs and so forth well that's not conversational search is it when you start to remove those so that's a really big shift that will will slowly and increasingly change as well um I think as soon as BERT and the likes of all these machine learning models become more efficient and less expensive to run, I think, that again, there'll be big shifts there. And I think passage indexing, as it starts to roll out more and more, that will make a huge difference as well because effectively that, that appears to be Google BERT but on small pieces of content rather than full documents because of the expense involved in uh, ranking like full pieces with machine learning models. So I think that increasingly long form content will start to be understood more and more and more. And I'm certainly starting to see some long lengthy blog posts that I created ages ago that weren't even really built to get traffic particularly from search. Um, they're starting to appear for quite a few terms within the within the body and concepts and so forth so actually i think maybe long form content will increasingly be understood as well so yeah so i think things are changing but it's not going to happen immediately so uh passage in indexing do you mean that um instead of trying to digest and understand the intent of an entire body of content it splits it into passages and, and treats each one as yeah, an entity and then it combines yeah. them yeah like a like an approach of a divide and conquer algorithmic approach, which is really big, it, I discovered in the algorithmic search engineer space. They take a lot of divide and conquer approaches to uh, to implementation of things like sorting algorithms and so forth. So they split everything up, solve all the problems individually, and then put it all back together. So it's no surprise that something like passage indexing came about uh, and Google BERT was implemented because... Uh, Bert was impl was implemented as a passage re-ranker, so it was repurposed wow. by some information retrieval and natural language processing engineers, uh, researchers, and um, and actually passage indexing and passage ranking now is a huge task on the various leaderboards that natural language processing researchers compete on. They're very competitive, <laughs> it seems. Trying to be human, human understanding benchmarks. How, how um, all of these NLP enhancements, how language dependent are there? Do you know if is progress being made in non-English languages as well, or is it predominantly in the um, no. English? No, well, it was predominantly in English, and obviously we know that English is so widespread. But even though it's only a small percentage of English speakers, really compared with the world at large and the number of languages that are out there. So that's a huge focus for tech and for search engines. You know, translating, machine translation, if you like, of natural language. Because there's a lot of bias involved as well. The fact that obviously the web is in English and there's, that's a natural automatic bias against non-English speakers. So it's important. So BERT originally was monolinguistic to um, multilinguistic. In that we know, for instance, that a lot of European languages, for instance, have quite a lot of transfer between different words. So it had that element. So patterns of uh, language could be transferred and automatically translated without a lot of effort. So, as I say, monolinguistic to multilinguistic, out of the box, but not specific enough. So a lot of researchers then have created individual versions there's loads and loads of different uh, languages specific uh, that have been built around BERT there's even something called BERT Langstreet which is 
uh, a website that has, I think it's something like 19 different language models of birds, but with various tasks that you can do on them as well. It's like a curation and it's uh, almost like a spoof of Sesame Street. <laughs> it's got the Sesame Street sign, but it's called Bert Lang Street. So it's just a curation of different language-specific BERT models. And then, of course, some of the really big companies like Google and Bing and Facebook are doing a huge amount now with uh, machine translation and automatic translation to lots and lots of languages without having to go through English. Like Facebook created a model or... Um, a program that ultimately you can go from for instance Chinese to French without having to translate to English first because that's a big stumbling block you often have to go from one to English and then English out to the next language well I think Facebook have it now so you can translate to a hundred languages without having to translate to English first and then not to be outdone I believe that Google translated uh, 101 languages automatically <laughs> with something like MT5. T5 is uh, similar to BERT but much bigger, trained on the common crawl. So the common crawl is obviously petabytes of years of the, the web stored in an archive which anybody can access and which is much more natural than Wikipedia because, as we know, Wikipedia is incredibly structured not natural, conversational. It's not like the web, which is very natural. And um, so the Google Brain team created T5, which is huge compared with BERT. And then there's a version called MT5, which is the multilingual version of T5, which is very, very super powerful. So, yeah, so internationalization is really, really high on the agenda by the looks of it. And they even now have leaderboards as well. I believe Turing have got things, Microsoft Turing have got some internationalization going on as well. They created a leaderboard called Xglue, which is there for people who are building cross-language machine learning models. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that leading, and Google have got one as well. There's one called Xglue, another, another one's called Xglue, and I believe... That's a multilingual cross-translation leaderboard. And if I'm not mistaken, leading that was Google Brain and Mina, which is a conversational language model built off dialogue. Wow. That's different in that it's built off words, built off chatbots, and that's Google again. So loads of stuff going on in this space. Apologies for a very lengthy response there. No, that's a, that's. I mean, the show notes for this episode are going to be longer than the episode itself. It's this is really really <laughs> good stuff. One one thing that kind of characterizes the SEO industry is this affinity for tools for helping them with their work. Are there any tools for for working with with these algorithmic search enhancements? For example, is there a tool where you could input a text and it will tell you like how well does it respond to different types of queries or how well intent can be deciphered from it or passage indexing? How well is it suited for that? Are these or are most of these tools still based on you know keywords and links and and um, and, and crawling basically? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, there's loads of tools out there. I'm quite. I use SEMrush a lot, but I use uh, and I'm that. That's not a plug for anybody. That's I'm just being honest. That's what I tend to use a lot. Um, but I think I think that the best tool is the SERPs themselves, the search results. So, yeah, I spend the vast majority of my time looking at what is returned in results for queries. Um. You know what's in the meta descriptions as well. I know meta descriptions are not are not a ranking factor per se, but for me, they are the output that Google believes will meet the informational need in a summarization. Because obviously, uh, and and obviously in feature snippets as well, that's that's using machine learning to extract the important parts. So there are tools. Um, I mean, obviously, Google have got the natural language API as well. But, again, a lot of that sounds very tactical, and I'm not a huge fan of tactics per se. I think 
people can focus too much on the tools and less on the overall big picture. Yeah. So looking to the SERPs gives you a much broader idea, particularly when you start to look across not just the 10 blue links, but all of the different set universal search. So when you type in a word like dresses or red dresses or whatever, what's what's being returned? Is it is there a big carousel with pictures on? Because you have to meet all of the needs. You know, it's as simple as that. To be the most to be the most relevant, you have to meet as many of those needs as possible. So if you're in a very visual industry, that means you've got to do a lot with imagery. Certain verticals, you know, you have to, for instance, fitness, you have to do loads with video. So I think it's about looking at the picture overall always, yeah. But at the same time, it's very important to look for areas where you could potentially create ambiguity because Bert and so forth are not foolproof. I always use the example of plumbers and heating engineers. Very similar, very, very similar indeed. And um, sometimes you'll have to like add a little bit of disambiguation into the content so that you keep all of the content that's about gas and fire and so forth to the heating engineer side and all the stuff about water mm. to a large extent on the plumbing side. So, so that helps to kind of, because naturally gas co-occurs with heating yeah and gas fitters and so forth and boilers that kind of thing and plumbing tends to, tends to fit with baths and sinks and taps and so forth so so there are tools as i say google has the natural language um there are you know there's like wordnet you could have a look at wordnet as well you could look at things like word to vec glove to vec to look at the co-occurring, the similarities, if you like, the co-occurring similarities between concepts. You could look at some of those. All of these are downloadable um, databases. But ultimately, your own eyes are always the best, best tool. And the SERPs, the SERPs in your own eyes. One other thing that... Um... So, so technical SEO is is something that many people equate SEO in general with. You know, the 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 a web developer especially gets these requests to do things like a long laundry list of items that need to be fixed. In the world of technical SEO, is there anything that can or should be done to accommodate for for Bert, for example? And maybe this is a naive question, but I'm this is this is the kind of practical things that um, a developer might be looking for. Is there something they need to know about these mechanisms so that they can? do a better job well even before the developer gets involved i think yes really fundamentally an information architect or whoever is the architect behind a site needs to consider language models and BERT right from the very beginning because what i see a lot of is particularly in e-commerce a lot of the in, in bigger sites as well where there's whole product management teams and marketing teams that look after certain products they tend to build their sites according to their internal teams and they'll often be crossover between categories so for instance you might have one team that deals with red widgets and another team that deals with blue widgets but each of those teams may have some very very similar products in each of them then if you're not careful if you build a site based on a reflection of your own personal organization, you can end up with two parts of a site directly competing and cannibalizing each other in search. I see this often because which which is Google going to rank when all things are equal between two URLs or two trees? Because ultimately a site is just a tree structure. It's just a data structure. Mm. I think, yeah, it's really... It comes before the dev. It comes well before the dev. I think internal linking as well in that case is really important. Canonicalization, again, another thing that devs do need to be involved in. But I think fundamentally it's going to be internal linking, site categories and sections, and even things like schema and so forth can help to disambiguate a bit as well. So devs will be involved there. So there is plenty of places where you will need 
technical SEO, but at the same time, I think it is more fundamental than that. It's literally a from the ground up building clear sections and clear information gain sections, if you like. And particularly in e-commerce, where you end up with this cannibalization of products between each other, if you're not careful. And that often comes down to the way that the internal linking or tags or whatever has been set up in the first place. So, yeah. I'm I'm actually really really this is serendipitous that you brought this up because and and we're running the risk of going into a tangent here. But if if I understood correctly, you're describing like the information architecture to really be a reflection of the organization that's building those sites. So if if there are rifts in the organization, they'll appear as you know maybe silos in the in the content itself. No, I'm saying don't do it as a reflection of the organization right. you're in in terms of management teams. Yeah, because especially in e-commerce. Because I often see that if one particular product or one... So say, for instance, you have three big categories of products you sell. Widget A, Widget B, or Widget C, yeah. So you could have product teams that have ranges of Widget A that they manage, but they they end up then putting them in a different part of the website. So you end up with a scenario where a search engine, you almost screw up your categories and subcategories from a topical and categorical perspective, i.e. you build the site based on how you would search within your organization to find who, who managed something rather than how a human outside would look for it. So it's really hard to explain, but... I believe you should build a site like you would organize a library. Categories, subcategories around well-known concepts, not around organizational teams, product teams. And I see a lot of that with big companies. Yeah, I think we're looking in the same direction because so what I'm describing is a situation where um, like the, the way to fix this would obviously be to have people communicate and to, and to have a coherent strategy in the organization exactly. itself which is super difficult to do in many of the organizations we work with because they're built into silos and they have matrix hierarchies and and they're rooted in these principles. So is is how do you see, um, as a consultant, do you see organizations are becoming more mature in this sense? Do you think that SEO could even be a unifying thing because it really does require all these different parts of the organization to pull together to build a coherent content strategy, for example? Yeah, I do. I really believe that, um, yeah, I believe it could be a, a very unifying overall because otherwise you you tend to be competing with yourself if you're not careful with these different sections and different teams creating content that ultimately is you're literally in a, a, a leapfrog with yourself in search. And especially as well if you end up with teams that manage of multiple websites but within the same organization but again if they are selling similar things semantically similar and search engines 100% realize that they are part of the same group organization you're almost like pulling yourself back because you're dividing the relevance between your own urls so i think yeah i think it's really important that people pull together Teams unify, communication needs to be really strong, especially as we need to meet all these different types of informational needs as well. So social needs to work with SEO. PPC 100% needs to provide the learnings, particularly on things like high-ranking terms that for which you've not quite reached there as an SEO or as the SEO's not in the top five. PPC can certainly learn what converts and so forth. So I think really it's more it's more about just the flow down of information and traversal of information between the whole organization. Within SEO itself, so so now we were talking about different parts of the organization and that, that makes obviously a lot of sense. And I think it's for someone with an analytics background, you know, I completely subscribe to that. Data is is always gonna be patchy if the organization building those data sets doesn't work together. But um 
What about within SEO? There are obviously these different ways of doing SEO and different specializations. There's technical SEO, there's there's um, content creation, there's link building, uh, PR, all this academic thing stuff that you've been talking about. In 2021, are they all still working towards the same goals or is it possible to actually create um, mechanisms that defeat each other's work if there's competing? Could, could these dif- disciplines compete against each other and kind of defeat the purpose? Yeah, I think... I think particularly in the content side of things, you can end up you can end up just churning content out for the sake of churning content out and trying to cover I still see people trying to cover every single query with a different page. Now it's almost like they're trying to do it just to keep themselves in a job or just because you know, you can never have enough content. Well that's just not true because actually you only need so much content to meet these informational needs. Uh, and if you're not careful, you can end up with five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pages all just sharing relevance for some really decent queries, but not actually getting very far individually. So I think a lot of that comes down to if you've got lots of content writers as well, all just researching the same keywords, coming up with different titles for the same thing if they're not careful. So I think they definitely need to speak more. Content teams need to totally and utterly have a good plan, not create content just for the sake of it. Be collaborative, perhaps work on creating different sections of amazing hero content rather than trying to spit out these one, two, three, four, five hundred word pieces that are just not that valuable. They could create something super amazing or a really epic series uh, that is joined up. I think that there's almost a emerging a little bit of conflict between the aspects of SEO as well now that needs to be gone. You know, you have technical SEOs that's, that kind of believe that it's all where it's at. You know, technical SEO is all that matters. Content writers that believe, you know, I saw an article years ago called Technical SEO is Makeup, and the technical <laughs> SEO industry went crazy but everything just needs to ultimately work together you know i think as the industry matures it's bound to start to fragment a little bit in that there will become increasing need for specialization because very few people can do all of the things and if they can do all of the things they're probably better off becoming t-shaped anyway so they focus on one thing and collaborate really well with everybody else It is hard to keep everything together, but I think it's fundamental for success and that whole strategic approach rather than ending up with just loads of little tactics that really just, you're just treading water and not progressing at all. And sometimes going against yourself. Right. Because I've seen that as well. The more content they create, the less well they do sometimes because they don't actually create content that meets a purpose and build upon these hero pieces Um, on the topic of content creation you know um much of what we've talked about today for for someone not working in seo maybe even for someone working in seo sounds super overwhelming i mean there are so many different things in this discipline because it's such a huge industry and it's it's such a complicated thing it's no longer just about keywords in a search engine it's it's a whole ecosystem of content and and interactions between searchers and queries and engines and, and the algorithms running our search engines are becoming more and more convoluted. In light of this, the, the kind of cliche in SEO has always been that as long as you just churn good content, that should be enough. So has this ever been true or is it even less true now than it used to be? I think you can, as, you, as long as you create good content with a structure and purpose, you know, good, con- good content will is a bit like a walnut. It will rise to the top a bit. But SEO is about a joining of tech technology with marketing so you have to you have to give it a push you have to you know there's there's so much good content sitting on the the, the you know the, the floor of the sea of the of the internet you know and there's no shortage of competition of good content out there so i think things like how important is that content in, in the structure of the web of the of the website how well linked is it you know is it layers down in the architecture so that's seo but that is seo in collaboration with information architecture and seo in collaboration with 
development, web developers and, you know, making sure, for instance, that articles are, there's an area of a site, for instance, that's listed articles by popularity. So if something is truly a great piece of content, it resurfaces over and over again and doesn't end up just being descending into the bottom of the of the archive somewhere. So I don't believe good content will do it on its own. Great content won't do it on its own. When you go and tell people about it um, via social channels, etc., so there's a collaboration again with social, then naturally we maybe may get some links and then it's a kind of a reciprocal, reciprocal popularity begins to build. Um, so no, it can't do it on its own. It needs more buzz. It needs buzz. It needs the buzz from social. It needs the buzz from SEO. It needs the buzz from votes within the website itself, i.e. more internal links to it. You know, it needs to be constantly resurfaced. I mean, I, I'm terrible for this. I've got, I've got some really good slide shares that I've done over the years, and I tend to do them, and then I kind of leave them on slideshare and then forget about them. So, and it's only when every now and again somebody will like find it and bring it to the surface. Like on Twitter today, somebody brought up the Zipfian distribution mm. deck, uh, which actually I did that back in December on Friday afternoon at five o'clock UK <laughs> time, and nobody really shared it because everybody'd gone home. Right. So the point is, I think that that's good content, but it, it, it doesn't get found on its own. You know, you have to, like, promote these things a little bit. Or sometimes it does get found eventually, but why not give it some help in the first place? And write with purpose and, purpose and meaning, you know, that's, that's important as well. But even, even publishing, you know, SlideShare, which is obviously not, not a site that you own, so it doesn't directly benefit your, your sites, um, for example, appearance and queries, it, it, there's still a benefit to it, right? So you, you, you are publishing the social, you're, you're building your brand, people know what to search for next time. Yeah, I believe that there is, yeah. I mean, many times I've thought, oh, why don't I just chop up all those slides, take screenshots and put them all onto a massive blog post? But you're talking like 180 slides and I'm mm. like, do you know what, I can't be bothered. Mm. <laughs> so, I don't know whether I've got the time to do it. But also at the same time, there is this notion of named entity determination as well. Search engines know the topics that are associated with humans as entities. Um, and, you know, people's names are mentioned around the web and those names eventually begin to be associated with specific topics that they cover or that they specialize in. I'm sure that your name would get returned a lot around analytics. So, you know, queries, so analytics consultants and so forth, or data, or data studio, or whatever your specialist area is, you'd be associated with that. And I know that I get traffic quite a bit of traffic for things around crawling and so forth because i've done talks on them they they're often on slideshare or they're on decks that are associated with conferences or blog posts that i've done on you know search engine land but i believe the concepts of crawling and so forth are a little bit connected with me as an seo so yeah, I think we have to, to, to a large extent, not just presume that links are the only way search engines find connections between people, topics, and so forth. I mean, they have like the topic layer now in the knowledge graph as well. And that's progressively understanding topics from the web, thousands of topics and subtopics from the web. And that is a big driver of the search of the next 20 years that they mentioned. You know, so yeah, I, I I really do believe that there's benefit from putting things on SlideShare. And and this is like a this is a a fairly normal marketing paradigm in a way that you're not only concerned with with a single digital property you're using like a website, but you're concerned about your authority and your brand as a whole. And it's um, maybe maybe SEO is often kind of becomes fairly introverted where you're only focused on the website and only on the website's rankings on those pages and you kind of lose sight 
of the fact that it's not just about that site, but the phenomena surrounding that site, the authorities who represent that site and who build that site. Exactly. And bear in mind as well that I think the links are important. You know, they, they are important. It's where the web is built. But I think there is a tendency still to be a little bit of a linkaholic in the SEO world, thinking that links are all that matter. But it's just simply not the case. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of changes over the years with, you know, search engines using learning to rank, for instance, which doesn't necessarily even use the likes of page rank particularly. Or we don't we don't know for sure, but learning to rank is machine learning ranking rather than just basing it on who's got the most links and so forth. Yeah, and I, I, do, I think I think it is important to be aware that the, the web is a web of data as well as a web of document and increasingly the ontologies are being built of people, things and so forth. Um, so I think it's important not to just focus on one website, but all of the things, everything, everywhere. I think this is this kind of new age philosophy is a great, great way to uh, start wrapping things up with you. Um, I do have one more little thought experiment to challenge your your brain on this day, and um, I'm now going to give you omnipotent powers for um, to do whatever you want. But specifically, if you could change any aspect of how search engines work uh, or, or how search works at the snap of your fingers with regard to what you think would be best um, you know, for users doing the searches and also maybe for sites providing the content, what would you do and why? Ah, wow. Well, I would, I mean, I'm really excited to see the likes of Google Mum that they talked about, which is where you're going, you're going on a trip and you've been on a trip climbing a mountain and you're going on another trip climbing another mountain, the search engine automatically knows what searches you, you, you need. You don't have to do the searches. Almost search becomes like a recommender system. And that's the, that's the direction. If I had superpowers, I would move things forward 20 years to where that is in fulfillment. Uh, because I don't believe, I don't, I don't, they get great enjoyment out of searching in a search engine. I'd love it to be like Netflix or Spotify, obviously taking into consideration privacy and so forth. But um, I'd love to be at that point where now the search engine knows exactly what I need and recommends things for me. So, yeah, that's, that's I'd li- I'm looking forward to that happening. I'd probably be retired by then. <laughs> so, so skip ahead... 20 years of birthing pains of this glorious future and just get it here today. Exactly. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think SEO will still be around. I don't know. Will it? I think it probably will be. Yeah, because search engines will... Well, devs will still be arguing with SEOs. (laughs) No doubt. And no doubt they'll, they'll be implementing more things like React and Angular and just trying to make it harder for us. (laughs) I'm glad we skipped yes. around those topics because that would have been another hour of discussions as well. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Dawn, thank you so much for making the time for this podcast. This has been a fascinating talk. And like I said, the um the the show notes are going to be complicated for this, um, but with but for good cause. This is a very um, very complicated, but from the sounds of it, a very very important topic. Understanding not only what how the search engine works, but how companies can prepare for it, and what things look like in twenty years. Optimizing not just for for the website, but for the complicated network of information out there in general yeah exactly that thank you very much all right bye 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 thank you again don anderson hopefully this has been as informative and educational for you as it was for me we'll be back in two weeks with another episode and another interview until then take care stay safe and enjoy the world of technical digital marketing (music) 